you heard of um, manufactured diamonds? No, so, no. So there's a guy now, and he's, um, he's a guy that owns a, a company called Ecotricity, and he has got a machine that is sucking carbon out of the atmosphere, and under massive pressure, they've turned them into um, lab grown diamonds essentially wow. and they are like flawless diamonds they have zero they're, they're basically the same as a diamond because it's carbon under pressure but they have no flaws in them at all so these things are amazing but they're they're, they're a lower cost than getting a, a mined diamond Welcome back to the Mortgage Heroes podcast. Now today, you'll be surprised we're going to stop talking about mortgages just for this once and give you guys and your ears or your eyes a little bit of a break. So today we're going to mix it up. I'm going to start talking a little bit more about how we can support the environment. And if you don't know, I've been banging on it for long enough now. We are certified carbon neutral. So we've got a fantastic guest who's helped us get to that status. And we've got Stephen from Positive Planet. How's it going, Stephen? It's great. Yeah, thanks very much. And well done on becoming uh, carbon neutral. That's brilliant. It's quite an achievement. Um, not a lot of businesses manage to do that. So brilliant. Great work. Thank you very much. And thanks for your patience as well. If anyone knows me, I'm a bit of a stickler and I like to know the facts and figures at all times. So these guys have stuck it out and made sure that we are carbon neutral. So before we go into kind of our process and the experience that we've had and what customers can find out a bit about us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did it all start for you? Okay. Um, so I, I'm a, a dad of two. I've got two boys. One's aged 10, one's aged 13. And it was really a, a moment for me. It wasn't as soon as the kids were born. It was as they started to go through school. And they were starting to look at climate change in school. And I'd always been interested in sustainability. I'd worked in the energy sector for a while. Um, and it was something that I'd looked at when I was even in telecoms. You know, we were looking at how we got our call centers more sustainable, reduced energy consumption. So it was something that I'd always done bits of but never really considered, never really thought about very much. And it was, as, the, as I say, as the, when the boys were born, I started thinking about it more and more. And it got to a point where I was having a conversation with uh, my colleague at work, the, one of the, the guys, the directors I was working with. And we were walking home through Manchester one day and I said, look, I just really want to do something with my career and what I do. And I want to do something that's got some meaning and some purpose. And... That got me thinking about the whole thing. And that's really where, you know, my my sort of journey into sustainability personally started there. But I've been working with consultancies, um, agencies that help businesses decarbonize for about the last seven or eight years as well. So I've been involved in that sector more and more. Um, and it was something I just saw a change in trends, really. I just saw people becoming more concerned, more interested. We started doing more at home. But it was really about, I think the kids were the big factor for me. It was just that... I didn't want them to come to me one day and say, what did you do about climate change? You know, things have got worse. And and so I didn't do anything. And I just kept driving a big car or I kept going on holiday loads and I kept doing all these things. And I just wanted to show that I'd, I'd done my bit, if you like. And that's that was how we got started, really. I remember um, the first time I seen something really shocking on the television. It was when BP, can't remember the year, I'm hopeless with, with names and dates, I am I am completely hopeless with. And it was when BP had a massive, uh, I think one of the tankers had leaked in the ocean. Do, yeah. do you remember? Yeah, and yeah. the BP share prices yeah, fell. Yeah. And I remember looking at that thinking, wow, that really is unnatural and this must be more that we can be doing. And I think I must have been in high school at the time. But in terms of your situation with businesses, when do you think, can you think back of when there was a time you thought, now I can notice a trend here with businesses, it's the same topic, it's the same sort of conversations. Kind of what was the driving force behind that, do you think? 
So I've been involved in in supporting businesses to switch to green energy. So Adam and myself, Adam's my co-founder at Positive Planet. We've been working in that energy switching sector for businesses. We'd been moving more towards a green energy switch as part of that journey towards sustainability. We've been tracking trends in terms of people's behaviors and attitudes, both in a household, personal level, and at a business level as well. And when we first started looking at that about two or three years ago, about 60% of people were making conscious decisions to, to buy sustainable pro- products, and, and it was things people were considering in the purchases. And that was at the start of that whole sort of COVID lockdown. We, fir- we started tracking that just before COVID kicked in. During the period of COVID, there was a massive shift, and... The, the trends changed hugely in the last two or three years. And now there's about 90% of people are making conscious decisions to buy more sustainable products or use more sustainable services. And we see this every day now at Positive Planet in terms of the businesses we work with. Their feedback is their clients, their customers are looking for more sustainable products as well. So that was the one of the starting points, really. That's why we, we launched Positive Planet. We saw that need in the marketplace. And the other challenge was I saw businesses like yourself that were looking to do something and just struggling to find where they could get that help and support really and that was a that was a big factor for us as well so Stephen, you mentioned their green energy we've all heard about it we see a lot of it in the media but what is exactly green energy yeah so how we define it in in the uk is that it's energy that's derived from um, renewable sources such as wind power or solar power um, rather than um, those that come from things like coal or fossil fuels typically. So we've been transitioning away from those in the last few years and increasingly more and more of our energy does come from wind and solar power. And on good days, nearly all of it comes from those sources as well. So if it's really windy and really sunny, then great news, that's that's where most of our energy in the UK comes from. And do you think there is a conscious decision at some point to get rid of those fossil fuels completely? Yeah, they're, they're being phased out, and um, you know the transition away from um, th- those uh, fossil fuel derived power sources has been one of government taxation in that space. That's meant actually it was it was more beneficial to move towards renewables, and that's coupled with uh, a trend in the marketplace of people just wanting to become more sustainable and favouring uh, renewable energy sources as well. It gives everyone that good feel-good factor as well, don't they? When they know that what they're buying is sustainable, when they know it's renewable, when they know it's green. Uh, you know, we use that, we see that word a lot in any sort of marketing uh, or in the news. It makes people, you know, gives someone a, a real good feel factor. And then derived off those sort of sources, uh, one thing that we, well, I didn't really understand is what is a carbon emission? So carbon emission, we, we generate carbon emissions in everything we do, really. Some of them are really direct and obvious things, like the stuff that comes out, the exhaust in your car, if you've got a petrol or diesel car. Um, others are more indirect, and they're things like the energy you use. So when we do burn coal in a power station, that creates emissions that you see. You see that in the form of smoke, and they have tiny particles of carbon in those emissions. Um, there's other things, things like refrigerants we use in, in your fridge in the house or in air conditioning systems. And there's things like methane that comes from farts from cows. You know? so, uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so there's a, a, a lot of different gases that are emitted that have an impact of causing the atmosphere um, it, you know, way above us to start heating up. And that's formed because the, the molecules that are being emitted, the, the carbon and methane molecules, etc., tiny little particles, they vibrate together as they heat up and that causes an increasing heat, they cause friction. And that causes the external atmosphere to start warming up. And it just means that the heat we generate on the planet can't can't escape as quickly. And that starts to have a, a knock-on effect in terms of our weather systems, our climate. And 
some of that we might think is quite good when it's a little bit warmer here but that's going to get progressively worse if we don't do something and it's going to make parts of the planet just in, uninhabitable you know and already we see huge amounts of people being displaced by climate change and in in the last year alone there's about 20 million people are displaced from the homes globally because they just can't live there because of weather or climate related incidents that are directly attributable to climate change and that isn't just in places like bangladesh or in developing countries it's here in, you know, we see that in the UK with floods that are happening. We see it across, it happened was it last year in Germany where there was the big floods across Germany and Austria and there was a lot of people lost their lives. So it's getting closer to home. And it also means if countries overseas, some of these developing countries, Africa, India, et cetera, get too hot and they, the, the, the water starts to rise, those countries become uninhabitable and people will inevitably move towards more temperate climates as well. And we're already quite crowded in a lot of those these countries and i think um you know we, we can't cope with a huge huge influx of people coming in well our green spaces of course then are going to be impacted all the farmland is going to be taken up with developments to try and house people and that's the problem i think you know if you already you know we see a loss of the habitat that we need to to counter the emissions so um you know our natural wildlife our, our trees our plants they're all capable of of sucking carbon out of the atmosphere and they do that to as part of the growing process and they lock it away either in the the tree or in the roots or in the soil if you start to remove those actually it has a it has a further knock-on effect and even things like you know where we start to increase um the height of buildings and the density of buildings in cities, those cities warm up more quickly. They don't have the ability to dissipate the heat. So as we become more densely populated, that that has a further effect and further challenges on on climate, on climate change and the impact that we're having as a, as a human race. Incredible. It's, uh, it's staggering. 20 million people, did you 20 say? 20 million people a year, you know, and that's some of those are internally displaced. They have to move in the countries. Bangladesh is a good example. They're seeing huge flooding. People are having to continuously move away. Um, and some of that starts to have, you know, if you want to bring that back home, what effect does that have? We don't see it day to day, but it's starting to have an effect on company supply chains, you know. So if you've been working with a factory that's then in an area that's susceptible to flood, it's susceptible to other weather conditions that mean that people can't get to work, the factory can't operate, it, it damages power lines, it can damage your supply chain. We see some of that, you know, for other factors at the minute with what's happening in Ukraine and how quickly things can develop. and. Um, and so there is some real risk to businesses. There's some challenge to us individually in our personal lives that we might not be able to get some of the things that we normally get or the cost of those goes up. So leading on from that then, if we don't change and we just continue burning fossil fuels and we don't, you know, we all don't collectively try and make a positive change, what ultimately is going to happen to the world if we don't change? Yeah, well, I suppose the good news for the world is the world probably doesn't change too much. You know, it will get hotter. It's the human race that there's the, the problem for. You know, the world will see increasing sea levels from a planet perspective. You know, we'll see increasing sea levels, um, less land, the polarized caps will melt. The, the temperature increase you know i'm not a climate scientist it's not it's not my area of expertise but 99 percent of scientists agree that this is what's going to happen and i think we do have to heed some of that advice um from a, a human perspective you know we will see that that displacement we will see a change in our lives you know i was talking to somebody the other day who lived in um uh just outside Russia somewhere and he was saying um that the temperature had been 40 degrees during the day and they couldn't couldn't go out at lunchtime it was getting so hot you couldn't go out roads start to melt infrastructure just doesn't work now that's where the, the sort of climate projections are getting 
towards in parts of Europe now, and it won't be long before it starts to happen further north. So a lot of things just don't happen in that temperature. Simple things like you can't play football when it's 40 degrees, you know, it's, and they're like trivial things in the scheme of things. But um, ultimately, climate change and the, the actions that we need to take are going to change our lives one way or the other. Whether we, If we don't take the action, it's going to get worse. There's, we're going to see increased weather effects. We're going to see increased temperatures. We're going to see a, uh, an inability to do some of the things we just take for granted day in, day out. I think the reality of taking action is one of things will change, but they don't have to change for the worst. You know, it's if you look at electric cars as an example, we're transitioning across to something that's a, a greener technology. Um, it's not perfect yet. It's not without some challenges, but it, re- it releases less emissions in using them. And they're a better technology. Most people seem to prefer electric cars these days. They're quieter, they're faster, they're smoother to drive. And that that will become a, a more reliable, robust technology with time. And there's a lot of things moving that way. And I think you know, we see it every day. It's really, um, it's really encouraging and positive to see the things that are happening. And I have a sort of bit of a rose-coloured view of the world because I, I largely deal with people like yourself who are taking positive, responsible action to do something about your own emissions. And so it's easy to think that it, it's all going to be all right. Um, but we all do have to do something. You know, we can't just sit expecting the government to take action or somebody else to take action. We all have a collective responsibility here, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, but it doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think, you know, climate change in some respects gets a bit of a bad rap that it's like some people calling for dramatic action, dramatic change and stop doing everything. It isn't just about that. It's about making small changes, some changes, doing what you can, and us all doing something. And that's that. That will have the biggest impact, really. You know, we we look for that collective impact. Lots of people making small change leading to a big difference. And it makes it more sustainable. It's like uh, if you try and change everything all at once. You know, I know if I tried to change everything I did all at once, at some point I'd just think, ah, oh, it's too much to go on. But if you get into the habits and the routines, it's gonna it's gonna create that positive impact. Yeah, yeah. But looking at how you guys have helped us as a business, you know, what are the some of the most common forms of carbon emissions that are released into the atmosphere by business? Take us, for example, through our assessments. You know, what sort of things would you expect a business to be? Uh, you know, the higher carbon emissions coming from each business. Yeah, so it, it varies from business to business. Everybody's a bit different. Service related business, office related businesses. Um, tend to have a very similar profile on the carbon emissions. So it will be the the things that we calculate. Carbon emissions are split out into into three areas, and they're called scope one, scope two, and imaginatively scope three. Um, Scope one is your um, fuel, direct usage of fuel within your your company-owned assets, if you like, so your building and your company-owned vehicles. And um, so that one's fairly simple. And for a lot of service-based businesses, because they're not burning gas in your offices unless you're using it for your heating, that's fine. It, it typically doesn't cause uh, a great deal of emissions on your carbon footprint. And that was the, the same for yours. There wasn't a wasn't great deal in scope one. Scope two is so the electricity you use. And whilst you're not directly responsible for those emissions, you are using that electricity that causes emissions in the generation of power. So if you're using um, fossil fuel derived energy, that's full emissions against those. If you're using a mix of renewable and fossil fuel, which a lot of energy is in the UK these days, it tends to be a bit of a mix, um, that will be netted off in terms of that proportion of renewable energy within your footprint. And if it's wholly green energy, it's all green energy, then all of your emissions are netted off. So you have no emissions against your scope two. Scope three picks up a raft of things. And so for your carbon footprint, 
Scope 3 emissions were pretty much all of your carbon footprint, really. They, they formed the most of your carbon footprint. And that was things like commuting to and from work, so that gets picked up, business travel, um, and the things that you buy, purchase goods and services. So your footprint was pretty much half. Um, the, the footprint was split between purchase goods and services, the things you buy just to run your, your business, and then the commuting for your, your, your staff, your 10 employees getting back and forwards to work. So, so that's, that's where most of that comes from. And there's a few other little bits, but they're the big things. And for a lot of businesses, um, office businesses, they tend to be very similar. If you're getting into somebody who's a manufacturing business or an organization that travels more, they maybe have a different profile and it will be um, some of the materials they buy, some of the, um, the distribution of those goods. So if I sell cans of pop, for instance, then the materials that we purchase, we'll be looking at the transportation, how they get to my factory, how we process those, those materials, and then how we send them on to the retailers or the, the customer that buys those. So they're a factor for those as well, and they will form a big part of emissions for those organizations. At home, it's the things that we buy, you know, the things that we do. So driving the car, going on holiday and um, the energy that we use at home as well. So it, it's a similar sort of, you know, we, we look at the same things, but um, it, they're the, typically the, the, the things that affect our home carbon footprint. It's never ending. <laughs> Just about ever. everything, it seems, it has is, some yeah, sort yeah. of impact. Yeah, an email three grams of carbon, three to four grams of carbon, depending on who you use, you know. So you can't, everything, because in sending an email, there's, there's electricity, energy yeah, yeah, associated with just storing that, actually running a computer, sending it. Yeah, it's three grams. So it's, it's, it is everything that you think about, you know, and it's, you can make better decisions. It's not about stopping doing something, you know. We're not saying to you guys, don't come to work anymore. We're just saying, look, think about how you do that. And if you're coming in the car, do you need to do that every day? Could you car share? Could you come on your bike? Could you come on the bus? Because all of these things have an impact of just reducing something. And uh, so it's just about small changes, as you rightly said. You know, it's not, we're not saying don't go into the office anymore, stay at home, don't buy any stuff and you'll be all right. We're saying make <laughs> some better choices, you know? Yeah. So, so. yeah. No, it makes sense. I, um, it's funny you should say about the buying the buying stuff towards the office because every day that doorbell goes <laughs> and yeah, it's something yeah. on the way. So now we're just going to do one order, get it all on the same day That's and, uh, and stop messing about. And it, it seems that carbon is emitted from things that you just take for granted. Like you said there, I'm quite surprised about the email. Email is something that you do 100 times a day, 200 times a day, 300 times a day you do it of a weekend. And you would never think that that is going to cause an impact because you take it for granted. It's yeah. just a piece of technology that you you use something. It's like a phone. Um, you use your phone. You don't know how it's built. You don't know what's emitting, but it just seems it's all around us. It's quite interesting how little the average person or average business still knows about all this sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of that, what's the kind of easiest way a business can say, well, from your experience, should I say, of all the businesses that you see, there must be one thing that straight away you will go, right, we'll change in that or you can change this? Is there one particular thing that comes up well, every time? Typically, if you're a business with premises and you've got control of your energy, switching to green energy is one of the easy things you can do. And you mentioned that at the start. You know? So that's a, that's a simple thing you can do. Often just then changing things like commuting habits, some of the things you purchase. For businesses sometimes that are distributing products, goods and services, who you work with, who you use. So there's some couriers are way better than others in terms of their fleet and, and the actions they take to, to reduce their carbon emissions. So it's sometimes just simple changes, you know, it's swapping out one for another. It's making some decisions about where you purchase some things from. So if I get them from 
China, it's going to have a bigger carbon footprint than something that comes from France or better still from the UK. So it's just an, an education thing sometimes, you know, it's, um, it's just an awareness. And that's where when you do your carbon footprint and you go through that exercise, that, that allows you to see where your emissions are. So that's the first step always to try and get an understanding of your carbon footprint. And that's, that's a fairly simple process. So if you're a really small business, you might be able to do that yourself. Um, and you can get some there's tools online that help you calculate that. It can be a bit time consuming in terms of some of the work you've got to do. I think, you know, as you guys find out, it's often easier to work with somebody like us. And it's not an expensive activity to go through as well. So we would support you with that. We'll help you get an understanding of your emissions and we can then guide you in terms of what you need to do. Next step, once you've got an understanding, is building out that carbon reduction plan. And that could be really simple if there's not many things you need to change. It'd be more complex if you're a bigger manufacturing organization. I've got some companies where the big businesses with a lot of products, um, we work with a big bathrooms manufacturing company. And, you know, so they've got things like all the different types of taps, which come from all over the world, all the different bathrooms, all the different things that you have in your, in your house and your bathroom that they sell. There's just thousands and thousands of products. And um, so for some, very complicated because we've got to look at a lot of different suppliers and a lot of different products for a lot of businesses it can be just quite easy you know we don't have to get to that level of depth and detail and the the reduction plan then is much more straightforward in terms of doing that once you've got that it's really just deciding what you're going to do when you know so how quickly can we change some of these things and you know is that a practical thing for us to do we don't work as the sort of carbon police, as you know. I'm not here telling you what you have to do. It's working with you guys. We need to support you. We're really pragmatic about that. I understand as a business owner, you can't just change stuff overnight, you know. So there's there's costs associated with that sometimes. There's change that you've got to think about. And you've got to get everybody on board with this as well and get everybody understanding what you're doing and why. I'm smiling because I've just got a little vision of you in an electric car with green flashing lights. Yeah, I remember you should. That's quite a good idea. Carbon patrol. Yeah, yeah. I like that. You should seek yeah, it up. Carbon patrol. I like yeah, it. Great. So yeah. I know from, from our experience, the uh, amount of carbon we uh, emitted, I was shocked. I didn't think it would, would be so high. Um, but then we obviously said, the, my immediate reaction was, I need to change this. I need to change it now. Yeah. So we then discussed offsetting and different things that we can do, not only to going forward to reducing our footprint, but you can do things now, can't you? So talk me through offsetting and how people can make that that sort of change. Yeah, yeah. So offsetting, I, I first discovered offsetting about five years ago and we started offsetting our carbon footprint at home. And I did that through, we purchased carbon credits, which are, they are, when somebody um, has a, a project and they're typically renewable energy projects, you know, so big infrastructure projects often in, in developing countries where that's a, a renewable source of energy that's replacing a fossil fuel-derived uh, source of energy. You can measure the difference in carbon emissions. And to support those projects, they're able to sell something called a carbon credit, which is that carbon saving, essentially. So you buy one ton of, of carbon saving, really, in those carbon credits. And that, that enables some of those projects to take place and, and funds and support some of those activities that have a, a genuine benefit. And they are... Um, really accurately and robustly measured to determine that there is, a, there is a genuine carbon reduction. The good news is the planet doesn't really care whether the carbon comes out in, you know, in Warrington or whether it's in, you know, in Bangladesh or in, in South America or something. It's, it, it doesn't make any difference in terms of where it's removed. So 
they're, they're the kind of things you can do in terms of offsetting. The other alternative and things that, that, that um, we're doing with you, tree planting as well. So nature-based solutions, as we would call them. So trees will sequester carbon. They will remove, suck carbon out of the atmosphere, and they then lock that away within the tree or within the ground. Um, the two things that are, are done well and done right, they work really well. Done wrongly, they get a lot of bad press. So it's one of the things that we work really hard to make sure that when you offset your carbon footprint, it's done the right way. So as I said at the start, I, I discovered these a, a few years ago. I've been looking at them for a while to try and find the right way of doing it. And that's that's one of the, the things that we do really well at Positive Planet. Um, but for me, carbon offsetting works. I, when I first did it, I didn't really think about, is this a good thing, the right thing? And um, as I learned more about it, I realized that actually the only time really to do carbon offsetting is it's not as a kind of a... Um, a mitigation activity in terms of I feel better because we're doing it or yeah. this this sort of washes over all our problems and makes these things better. It's to do it in conjunction with a carbon reduction plan, exactly as you guys are doing. So you've got a commitment to reducing your own emissions, which is the right thing. There's a limit to how fast you can do that because you just can't change some stuff overnight. So offsetting means that actually I can have a bigger benefit to the planet right here, right now, today. I can support things that have a reasonably quick and, and immediate impact faster than maybe we could we could do some stuff so i suppose looking at one way you know if i just did some things to reduce my footprint that's good that has some benefit if i just did offsetting that's good that has some benefit doing the two things together as you have doubles that benefit really so it's a it's a it's the best way to go in my opinion i think the other thing that that i found both doing this at home when when we did it at home and i taught the kids about it they were like this is brilliant and they engaged and they wanted to know where the trees were planted they wanted to know about the projects and they they wanted to know about the people in the projects and which countries and we looked at them on the map so that was the first time they really got engaged and started thinking about you know the things we were doing and i remember talking to the kids over dinner and they were like oh it's a really good thing we're like we're a carbon neutral family and that's yeah. that's really cool and they yeah. talked about that at school and i think from a business perspective there's the same sort of benefits you know and it's it's great that we're here today i really appreciate you having us along and we see that that businesses that are offsetting it just gives them something extra to talk about you know being carbon neutral balancing your emissions with the, that carbon offsetting activity the tree planting gives you something else to talk about that engages others to do the same thing it's inspirational you know i think people look and think right well we could do that we could take that action but you don't talk about the fact that you've maybe switched out from you know one supplier to another it's just it doesn't yeah. quite feel as exciting and as sexy so uh, the it works well in terms of just raising awareness, um, getting other people engaged, bit of leadership. And, um, you know, we do find that, that clients really see some benefit from that, both internally and engaging people and externally with new clients, new customers, etc. It's interesting to say that because uh, we've got two boys, age four and six, and we were talking to them about tree planting. It's easy for kids to recognise what tree planting is. Uh, so we're going to go and head up to Scotland next summer and we're going to go let the kids see where some of the trees are we've sponsored to plant, yeah. get them involved in it all. But one thing that, that shocked me was um, just by tree planting, it's not certified as reducing emissions just yet, is it? Yeah, it's got to yeah. be going for a while. So in terms of offsetting projects, I mean, what does it take to become a certified project that we can say, here's a carbon credit, if we do this it'll offset this you know how does it become yeah, certified yeah. so carbon offsets tend to be in 
most of them are renewable energy projects. So it's as I described before, you know, we've been coal-fired power station gets replaced by a um, hydroelectric dam or wind power or solar, and there's a big drop in emissions. And you can sell those credits um, over time based on those, those, uh, that benefit that, um, that is derived from the new project. The other things are things like cook stoves, where in some of the developing countries they're using really um, high emission cooking uh, um, equipment and they're often cutting down trees to, to fuel those as well and they're often used indoors so you can imagine you know a fire oh, in, wow. a, in, in a small space it's not good for your health it's not good um, in terms of the, the environmental emissions and it's not good in terms of how they're fueled as well so that the um, that there's some of the other type projects and there are some um, other other projects are starting to come to the fore now, things like carbon reduction. So you imagine a massive hoover that can suck carbon out of the atmosphere and and then lock that away and or in some cases um, turn them into something else. So have you heard of um, manufactured diamonds? No, so, no. So there's a guy now and he's... Um, this guy that owns a, a company called Ecotricity, um, so big in sustainability. He also owns Forest Green Rovers, which is the most sustainable football club. Um, and he has got a machine that is sucking carbon out of the atmosphere, and under massive pressure, they turn them into um, lab-grown uh, diamonds, essentially. Wow. And they are like flawless diamonds. They have zero, they're, they're basically the same as a diamond because it's carbon under pressure, but they have no flaws in them at all. So these things are amazing, but they're, they're, they're a lower cost than getting a, a mine diamond. And and it has less environmental impact as well because you know, digging in the ground and all these things. <laughs> that is insane. So, yeah, I know. And it's um, so there's that they're starting to come out. You know, new new ideas, new projects. And there's a lot of people funding um, big big projects, big ideas. Just how do we get the carbon out of the atmosphere and lock it away? Um, and that's just one part of the solution. You know, we, ideally, is we don't don't let it out in the first place. But if we can start removing it and doing something with it, that, that's that's great as well. So it tends to largely be those renewable projects as carbon offsets, some cook stoves and some new, newer type projects coming through as well. The reason tree planting isn't um, typically certified, there are some that are doing it, um, but not very many at the minute, is... Historically, some of that tree planting activity is a bit unreliable. So we, we spend a lot of time looking for credible tree planting partners. So the worst I came across was somebody that was just actually chucking seeds out of a helicopter, of all things, you know, which can't, <laughs> there can't be many more environmentally unfriendly ways of planting trees. Um, so we work with an organization called Eden Trees. They, what I like about Eden, and it's one of the things we look for in any projects that we support, is that there's people benefits as well as the environmental benefits. So they create jobs, they provide prosperity for people. And the, the projects are run right from start right through to, to finish, if you like, in terms of seedlings and, and planting those seeds, growing the seedlings for every single tree, turning those into saplings and, and nurturing those all the way through until they're planted. And then they're in managed woodlands, typically in national parks where they're protected as well. So one of the things you've got to look for is, you know, it's no good us planting a thousand trees for you here and somebody's chopping down the thousand next door yeah. to them, you know. So it's about deriving benefit that it's it's an additional activity that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So that's what Eden do. That's why we work with them. They manage that process really well. They track all the trees. We get great photographs back. They have aerial and satellite photography, so they, they track each one. I can't guarantee that every tree grows. It doesn't get blown down by the wind or something happens. But in the main, they manage that the best way to ensure that actually when they we buy a tree and they plant a tree, that that tree fulfills 
the the expectation that you have of it that it is going to grow and remove carbon from the atmosphere so there's a lot more than just planting a little seed and and off it goes yeah, yeah. and it's you, there's a lot of considerations you know and it's um it's planting in the right places in the right way um you know if you if you don't plant trees correctly and in and in certain environments you can release carbon in the planting process as well so you know you've got to be there's a lot to consider and it's not my area of expertise, but that's why we, we work with Eden because um, they've got they they plant in eight countries typically in developing developing nations um, across South America, Southeast Asia, Africa, India, and um, they manage those projects really well. And it's great, you know. I get loads of feedback. We get fantastic photographs. We can see exactly what's going on. But I know and I trust that that they are doing a good job with that, much better than it would be if I was. And imagine waking up one day and thinking. <clears throat> What if we can make diamonds from carbon? I know, yeah, yeah. Well, Completely insane. Uh -huh. Yeah, I know. And that's, I wonder what else we'll come up with. You know, I'm sure they'll find some like amazing use for it, and then they'll be they'll be sucking more out of the, plant, the yeah. atmosphere than than is good for us or something. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, it's it pretty cool, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, it is really pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, in terms of our business, we help hundreds upon hundreds of people each year buy homes, whether they're business owners, whether they're first-time buyers. Uh, and everyone's got this sort of conscious effort now to try and make a change. So what can you say that, you know, what's the one thing you'd say to someone? You could easily reduce this or you could do that to bring down your carbon emissions. Yeah, so at home... Was relating back to, to my journey, you know, and we've been doing this for a while. We we took an approach at home, which was let's try and do something every month, something new. And some of those things worked and some didn't. So we've we've basically managed to remove plastic out of the kitchen um, and we've managed to remove plastic out of the bathroom. So they were two things that we worked towards. And that was actually much easier than we thought it was going to be and much cheaper than I thought it was going to be. You know, we actually saved money rather than yeah. spending loads of money. There were some things just didn't work. Some of the shampoo bars we tried were bloody awful and some things that were better than the, the alternatives that we'd been using before. Um, so there were some simple things you can start doing. That's actually, yeah, it's a really easy way just to start and engage, just thinking about some of those, those little things you can do at home. Other really simple stuff at home is just switching stuff off every night, you know. And I go around; it's my last job of the day, making sure the Wi-Fi switched off, the TV box, the TVs are unplugged. We haven't left phones charging all night, <laughs> and you know, it's all those sort of little things. But how much do you think that a typical household spends on just having stuff on standby? Well, do you know, funny you should say that. We had a smart meter fitted this yeah, week. Okay. And it's it's in the kitchen and it becomes a little bit of an obsession. Yeah, yeah. And we went to work, boys were at school, came back, the electricity usage was £1.50 yeah, yeah. while we were out. And I was stood yeah. there going, what's going on? So now I found myself when I boil, boil the kettle, yeah, yeah. sand watching it goes, it's 4p that. Yeah, fried and smart <laughs> Is everyone having a brew? Yeah, so it's yeah. insane how uh, small little changes can also impact you financially and help you reduce your costs as well as having a positive impact. Yeah, yeah. And it's, so it's about £450 a year as the average household. You know, if you've got like kids and you've got a game and console and, you know, you're, you're leaving things in on charge, £450 a year. So it's a huge amount. And um, so that can be a, a significant saving you can make without really, you know, you're not changing anything, not having to do anything. It's just a new habit of just switching off, unplugging, and you save yourself a small fortune in the process. Other things you can do is just making more sustainable choices about travel, about, you know, sort of... Um, sort of uh, conscious decisions about purchase and the things that you buy, you know, and looking at more sustainable alternatives. And it's much easier than you think. So in the UK at home, uh, the average person has a carbon footprint of 11 tonnes. Um, a tonne of carbon 
is about the same size as the average three-bedroom semi-detached house that the average home we live in. You know, so it's a, it's frightening when you think about it suddenly in that context, and you start to think about what that looks like. You know, if I if I start getting a, a, a business and you know you're 80 tons, what does that look like? It's a street's worth of carbon, you know. And then you start to project that out to some bigger businesses, and we've got clients where we've we've shown them physically what this looks like, and it like dwarfs their offices every year yeah. the amount of carbon they put out. So. 11 tonnes, we need to get that down to about four to five in the UK, really, by 2050 to, to achieve our, our climate targets, you know, and that means things like renewable energy being in every home, using less energy, travelling with things like electric cars or more sustainable alternatives. When we go on holiday, trying to do that less and flying less, not flying long haul, not travelling with business so much on flights for sure. There will be a shift in the aviation industry. They're already looking at green fuels and short short haul flights that can run on electricity and, and be charged. Um, so there will be a shift in technology, but we need just some small behavioral shifts and a bit of consideration. It's a bit different at work, but some of the same sort of things really, you know. It's um what we tend to sort of say to people at work is look, get everybody involved is the first thing. Yeah. Get everyone thinking about it, get them aware, talk to them about your carbon reduction plans and the things you're doing. Um, we do things like carbon literacy training where people can understand more of this and really understand the impact they're having. And that tends to lead to good behavioral changes as well. Um, but it is, it's just, it's either, you know, there's three options really. You can change what you're doing, you can do less of it, or you can stop doing it, you know. And some of those things are really easy to stop, some are really easy to change, and some are equally easy to do less of, you know. It's like commuting. Most of us aren't in the office every day anymore so that's having an impact you know of just traveling less and some of those things are really easy just to embrace as a business fascinating truly truly fascinating yeah there's just so much and it, i think it's interesting because our clients when they come to us they're typically like they start and say look we don't know what to do we don't know where to get started a bit like you guys did we're not yeah, really sure yeah. what what the plan is and we have no idea of how to get to net zero what that really means when we can get there and they start that journey, and by the time they've done a carbon footprint reduction plan, everyone's gone, well, what's next? You know, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and they've become engaged in the, the process, and it's become something that's interesting, exciting, not something that's detrimental and, yeah. you know, a, a, a painful thing to do. What we then see is the benefit of doing that in terms of what that brings from new business, new clients, being able to identify new products maybe that you can sell to, to clients and customers. So it's a huge range of opportunity that, that just being more sustainable and embracing that in your business starts to unlock for a lot of people. And I think, you know, we're seeing more and more of that. Um, it's a great thing to do, you know, and it, and it is, it can become a really interesting, exciting thing to do. Addiction of to uh, becoming carbon neutral, to becoming green. I absolutely love this sort of topic. Yeah, yeah. Stephen, it's been fantastic talking to you. Um, one thing we're asking all our guests is a little tip for first-time buyers or for buy-to-let owners of what they can do. But I want to change it up today. And I want to ask you, what's your favorite change that you and your family have made collectively out of everything that you've done that you think that's a real good impact on the planet as well? Yeah, well, I think I think that there's... there's two things actually one is the smart meter i think that was we were like you you know and i did the same thing i went oh, why is it still moving you know and then it's like yeah i switched everything off until it was only the fridge and then you're like wow that's still using quite a lot as well so i think a smart meter is great in terms of, of of energy um the other thing that we did was just the stuff in the bathroom i think you know and starting to look through that they were just simple changes and, that, and i think because they were positive shifts that we started doing quite easily 
we saved money, we we reduced our plastic consumption, and then it was a, a really easy step. So as a as a as a household, they were things that were all easy for us to get involved with. And then I started talking to other people about some of that as well. And I think that's the thing that it it encourages others to take action as well. Love that. I switched uh, deodorant for a bar yeah. two years ago. Costs yeah. eight quid. It lasts a year, yeah, and it's yeah. absolutely perfect. Where yeah. deodorant's four pound every month, saves it saves a ton of money. Yeah. Well, listen, Stephen. If anybody wants to find out more about you or Positive Planet, where can they find out more information? So we're at positiveplanet.uk. Um, drop in the website. Um, you'll find lots of easy to access information. It's one of the things that we really pride ourselves on. You know, when we started on this. We were a business trying to identify how we reduced our emissions ourselves, and we went through that process. So one of the things we found was it was really confusing. So we've made it really simple. It's hopefully in language that's easier to understand. You can see what the processes are. And it's a really simple process to go through with us. You know, we engage with you in terms of what you want to do. We take you through an onboarding call once you've, you've decided to work with us, and the team will explain to you all the things that you need to do. But we really take on board most of the work you know i think you'll find that it, other than getting some some information to us there really hasn't been a great deal for you guys to do um and uh i hope you find it a really easy process you know that's what we try and make it for for organizations that it's simple it's easy it's accessible and it's affordable as well we don't make it expensive um and that it's about companies trying to engage in this and actually do something is what we really want to see happening so that's, you know, it is just come and have a look, come and talk to us. You know, we'll give you some advice. We'll give you some help. It's no obligation, no pressure. Um, and I think we'll probably have some stories for you as well, uh, sort of familiar, you know, with familiar businesses, similar businesses where we've done something and they've derived some benefits. So I think you'll see that it's a great opportunity there. Amazing. Thanks for coming on. Great. Pleasure. Thanks very much. So if you've been watching on YouTube or listening on your audio devices, I hope you managed to pick up some fantastic tips, whether you're a business owner or from home, of little things that you can do to help improve your carbon emissions or start to offset them as well. So or as always, if you have listened to this and enjoyed it, please, please, please hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel or share this across with your friends and let's get that message out there. I've been Sam. This is the Mortgage Heroes podcast and we'll see you on the next episode.